You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your presence here, and we give you great thanks that you are the true and living bread. Uh, Feed us now that bread and sustain us uh, with that bread um, as we hear your word preached today. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. may be seated. And once again, uh, thank you for uh, the warm invitation to be a Lenten preacher here. My name is Jacob Smith, and I'm the rector of Calvary St. George's uh, Church in Manhattan in New York, and it is always just a great pleasure to be here with all of you, and uh, so grateful for the ministry of the Advent and the tremendous encouragement it is uh, to all of us um, all around the country and around the world, for that matter. Um, I'm walking us through um, Israel's uh, 40 years of uh, Lenten journey through the wilderness, and today I'm going to be preaching from Exodus chapter 16, and I'm going to begin at uh, the, the second verse. Exodus chapter 16, beginning at the second verse. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven, for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in it, will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you uh, in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, You shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And in the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground, And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. 
And Moses said to them, It is the bread of life that the Lord has given you to eat. Here ends the lesson. Well, in our timeline in the book of Exodus, it's been about a month and a half since the parting of the Red Sea. And Israel is in the middle of not just the desert, but they're in the middle of the wilderness here. Now, the wilderness in the Bible is so much more than just a desert. The wilderness in the Bible is understood as a place of trial, a place where our needs and and desires of the temporal life can literally overwhelm us. So, for example, New York City, where I'm from, while it's urban, it is definitely in the middle of the wilderness because so many people can't seem to satisfy the thirst and the hunger that's drawn them there. And in the wilderness, we'll see this tomorrow as well, Israel uh, encounters two primal needs. Uh, We'll talk about tomorrow the second primal need, which every human has, and that's that's thirst. Uh, But uh, today, uh, they are encountering that second primal need that every human being has, and that's hunger. Hunger, and we read that Israel actually here, a month and a half in, has reached, reached a point beyond simply a growling stomach. They are hangry, you know. Uh, they are hangry. They're hangry with Moses. They're hangry with Aaron. And uh, they are hangry with God, and they begin to complain in unison. They begin to grumble. And we read their complaint, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord. In the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, a quick sermon fun fact a flesh pot, what is that? Well, it's a lipstick by MAC that is moderately warm toned, light beige with a satin finish, and retails for about $20. Um, don't believe me, look it up. But in this context, uh, as some of your translations may tell us, uh, it's a Dutch oven, basically, with meat that stews and cooks all day. However, if you just skim the book of Exodus, those early chapters of Israel in Egypt in bondage, well, you'll notice Israel had no time to tend to the flesh pots, either lipstick or stew. They were slaves. Remember I talked about yesterday that the, the, they, they were looking at the trauma through uh, rose-colored glasses. And we see it here again. They're longing for what we would call the good old days, the good old days of Israel. And we long for those good old days as well, the good old days for us. What we fail to realize is that the good old days are oftentimes uh, a sinful and idolatrous illusions where in romanticizing the past, we miss what God is doing in the now. This is my first point. In the wilderness of life, the wilderness that you're facing, you know, because of the deficiencies of the present, we tend to exaggerate the happiness of the past. The crisis of the present for Israel is hunger, Maybe for you, it's a relationship. Maybe for you, it's a decision you have to make. Maybe for you, it's sickness or addiction or a job or a lack thereof. And all of these things, the crisis of the moment, 
well, they can lead to a crisis of faith, which calls us, like Israel we read today, calls us to question God's love, his faithfulness, and even his very presence. It seems oftentimes easier for us to romanticize the past and fall back into old patterns, old habits, old identities than to trust God who is providing what we need in what appears to be the unknown. However, this particular predicament, your present predicament, does not catch God off guard at all. It's not like he's up in heaven going, my God, what did they get themselves into? Here's the truth. God is the one who's leading Israel the whole way. I mean, think about that. And God is the one who's leading you the whole way. And when one studies the book of Exodus closely, we understand that Israel's present predicament, this hunger, was actually brought on by God as a form of provision and protection. If you go back to Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, we are told when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them the shorter route. It wasn't like Moses had his GPS wrong. They went this route for a very specific purpose, and that was because the land to go the northern route was the land of the Philistines, a vicious, vicious people. And God says, lest the people change their minds when they see war in return. Israel's led this route because they couldn't face the Philistines yet. And at this moment, facing the Philistines, this vicious group of people, as a band of weak slaves, would have been far worse than their present hunger. Anglican Old Testament theologian James Motier puts it this way. In a word, the trials of the pathway may take us by surprise, but never God. They may catch us unprepared, but never our Lord. So whatever predicament you are facing, you can trust that God has led you out there and it is not catching him off guard one moment. And this is my second point. God's not shocked by COVID. God's not shocked by the things that you happen to be facing in your life. God's not shocked by our present predicaments at all. Because the fact is, is that God is the one who led Israel and God is the one who is leading you. And sometimes he leads you out this way to deliver you from something far worse. The problem is, is that we're so busy kicking against the goad. We're so busy longing for the past that we miss the grace and the blessings at the present moment. However, this is the beautiful thing about God, is that he's the protagonist in the relationship. And this... Our, our, our resistance never stops God. I thank God every day sometimes that God is not a gentleman because if it was up to me, I'd be running right into the streets. He is always at work. He's always at work in your wilderness and he brings light into the darkness. God brings life into death and as Israel demonstrates in their grumbling, God works in the wilderness of our lives not because we deserve it, not because we are faithful. But God works in the wilderness of our lives because God is gracious to you. 
And God is merciful to you. And God is the one who is faithful when we are faithless. We see this in the way that God responds to Israel's doubt in our reading today. I mean, Israel, the accusation here is murder. You've brought us out here to kill us. And God responds to their false accusations, not with lightning bolts, but with two wonderful gifts of food, bread and quail. Mmm, that's got to be on the menu next year. But anyway, um, uh, you know, he provides it every day for them for 40 years sojourn. Now, what's happening here is very, very significant because it points and it draws us to the gospel and has significance for you as you sojourn through the wilderness called life yourself. If you remember, when does bread make its first appearance in the Bible? Well, it does in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve are cursed and God tells them by the sweat of your brow you will eat bread until you die. Hence, bread in every society represents work. Farmers work, bakers work, grocers work. You go to certain parts of Manhattan, you know, north above 125th Street, uh, bread is a slang term for money. You have to work for bread. However, here God provides bread for free. This is why the Israelites call it manna. It literally means, what is this? Because this bread is all grace. This bread is all gift. And this bread is right from heaven. As I was preparing this sermon, I uh, read an article entitled, Manna is Real and Not So Heavenly, by Vered Gutmann in a Jewish magazine called The Moment. And he writes about the history of manna and that after the Six-Day War, Israeli botanists for the first time went into the Sinai to study plant life. And they found on all the shrubs and the tamarisk trees in the morning white drops, which were digestive byproducts of insects that feed on the plant sap. The secretion formed at night, and it is loaded with sugar. The sweet liquid hardens to form these granules and is still collected from spring to early fall by the Bedouins who live out there today. And when the Israeli scientists went into the Sinai, they asked the Bedouins, they were like, what is it? And the Bedouins responded, exactly. Manna, what is it? This is manna, which prompted Gutman, the author of this article, to essentially write off manna from heaven as no big deal. The miracle was solved. Remember what I said yesterday. God does not work through magic. Our God is an earthy God, and he works through his creation to save and redeem his people. So this actually, contrary to Gutman, makes total sense that God would take ordinary things like bug secretion and quail and multiply it in order to feed lots of people in the wilderness. Wow, have we seen this before? Sure do. We see it in the Gospels. 
It's recorded in actually all four Gospels in the wilderness because Jesus looks upon the grumbling crowd and has compassion, and he feeds the multitudes with five loaves and two fish, the quail of the sea. That was supposed to be funny. And in John's Gospel, the people keep asking for more bread. You remember that? And they actually get snarky with Jesus, and they say, pfft. Come on now, you gave us bread one day, but in the wilderness, our ancestors fed on bread for 40 years. To which Jesus takes this scene in Exodus, and he points it to himself. He responds to the people grumbling in John 6, 35. He says, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And Jesus addressed those two primal concerns that Israel faced in the wilderness, not with an improvement plan. Did you notice that? Not with an improvement plan, but with his very self. You and I are born into a deep, we are born into a wilderness with a deep, deep hunger that the world's bread cannot satisfy. No matter how much you acquire, no matter how much you own, no matter how much power or prestige or wealth we manage to scrap together, it does not reach down into that gnawing hunger, the hunger of the soul. You look at some of the richest people in this world or in this country. They're worth billions and billions of dollars. And it's not enough. It's not enough. And all of us, we try and numb that hunger with what the world gives us in all sorts of manners of false promises. But have you discovered that going after those promises, it just leaves us more empty? That emptiness is the emptiness, the hunger of the soul. It's a spiritual hunger, and therefore it needs spiritual food. The world's bread cannot satisfy the hunger no matter how much we gorge ourselves on it. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Only Jesus can satisfy that deep hunger of the soul. Only Jesus can quench the thirst that we have for God. And as Christians in the wilderness of this age called life, we are called to draw sustenance from him and his merits, not our own. And this is my third point. Manna. What is it? Bug secretion? That'll still leave you hungry. It's interesting. Manna, what is it? It's Jesus, the Son of God, becoming man, dying on a cross to deal with our insatiable appetites for ourselves, which leads to sin and death. Manna, what is it? It is Jesus, his life for the world which sees you through death into eternal life. And yes, you're going to walk out those doors and the world will consider it foolish as it pursues its own bread. And yes, your own doubting heart may waver, may waver at this morsel 
which seems like nothing, just words, seems like nothing compared to what the world has to offer. But even in your doubts, the cross reminds you that there, God is having compassion on you and continuing to feed you through his word, which gives and bestows by his spirit eternal life. Manna, what is it? Christ crucified for you, me, and the whole world. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.